Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. So, we've already mentioned what today is. Um, obviously, it's the day that I'm preaching because I'm dressed nice. Um, it doesn't happen very often. It's only when I'm preaching. At least that's what I've been told. Uh, no, it's Pentecost Sunday. And, you know, you think about days that are important to the church, Pentecost Sunday, Easter. And I think, in my opinion, we've done a great disservice to God in the sense that we only celebrate it once a year. You know, if you think about how much the resurrection should mean to us, it should mean more than just one day. If you think about what the Holy Spirit does within us and does within our lives, praising God for the Holy Spirit should be more than just one day, right? It should be an all-day, everyday, ongoing process. So I share that with you because, as I told you last week when I did Matthew 24, Matthew 25 was actually what was put on my heart. But God kept saying, no, you got to do 24. You got to do 24 first. I said, okay, Lord. And uh, didn't want to be disobedient. And today's message, to me, makes sense that it's today because talking about having the Holy Spirit and being a Spirit-led servant of Jesus Christ is what we're going to talk about today. So it worked out, right? Not my timing, but his timing. So with that, when we were younger and when we were in school, you know, for some of us, it wasn't that long ago, um, you know, anybody who goes to school for eight years is usually called a doctor, but I've, I've been told that I've, I am a uh, lifetime student. And I've actually discussed going back to school with my wife and pastor. And uh, I had two, it would have been two Saturdays ago, I, I'd gotten, and not yet. So, okay, I will hold off. It's not my time. However, I, I will, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that there is somebody in our congregation that is going back to school. His name is Pastor Bob Rost, and he is going to get a PhD. So he needs your prayer and support in all ways, because that's going to be a big deal. So anyway, when we were in school, we had teachers who would administer tests, right? You all had tests. Uh, some were called quizzes, pop quizzes, midterms, or even in Indiana, the dreaded ISEP. Anybody remember those days? Who in here is young enough, myself included, to remember Scantrons? If you were like me and didn't study, it was Abdacadabba. <laughs> A-D-B-A. And yes, with my mom sitting in the room, I can confidently tell you that there were a few instances where I had to do that. Abda Kadaba, you just keep going, you know, you just keep doing that, right? You're bound to get at least 50%, right? And 50% is passing, right? That's good enough. You know, if your doctor were to tell you, would you accept that? <laughs> no. So the purpose of these tests were to see if what you were being taught, you were actually learning, right? If you could actually rehearse you know, when the test came, that you'd actually be able to rehearse the information that you were taught and put it on the test with the right answer. And they were also to determine whether or not you were able to go up to the next grade level. So if you think about kindergarten, you probably didn't really have any tests. You know, I drew a blue duck because I wanted to draw a blue duck kind of thing. First grade, you probably had some tests, but then, you know, about second grade is when, the, when it really got hard. Now, who in here could honestly, 
say they enjoyed taking tests. You dreaded it, right? When I was in both graduate schools, and we had midterms coming up, I don't know a single adult, let alone graduate student that was still of college age, that looked forward to taking a test. Yet, with a test, we all know that part of the school's curriculum is taking tests, right? I mean, with, with any grade level, you have to take some kind of test. And now, a good teacher will, would only administer a test, I would say, maybe about 98% of the time, with information that you should know. Now, occasionally, I can remember taking a test where there was that question, and you just knew it. Matter of fact, that we didn't cover this. What is this question on here for? Sometimes the teachers would kind of jump ahead on accident, or they'd use last year's test that actually had information that you should have already been taught in there. And so you would get a question, and the teacher would be like, well, I went through the test. Everybody missed this question. Well, yeah, nobody knows what's going on. Part of the curriculum for my life and your life, by God, is a test. It is a test of faith. It's a test to see whether we believe and trust in what we see and hear, or it's a test of what a lot of Christians are doing on Sunday, saying amen and living a completely different life Monday through Saturday. One of those illustrations is found in Matthew 25. So last week, I preached on Matthew 24. Jesus has laid out his signs of his coming at the end of, age, of the age and has gave, given us an example of what to look for, uh, the abomination of desolation and different things like that that might occur. You know, it's interesting that when you preach on a message like that, you kind of, I, I don't know if anybody else has this, um, I have a TV in our break room at work, and it plays the Associated Press's, like, pictures, but like a little snippet of what's going on. And wouldn't it be interesting that in one, a Greek city, there was a wildfire going on. In Panama, there was an earthquake. So, you know, these signs just seem to be magnified more and more. But Jesus says, you don't know the time and the hour when I come. Be prepared. Be on watch. Those things are going to happen, but be ready. And if you're not ready, as the parable in Matthew 25, 1 through 13 tells us, you may be knocking at the door saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he may say to you, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins. Now is where I'm actually going to preach. It's going to be Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. It's the parable of the talents. You probably have read it before, heard it preached before. And so hopefully, this today will go along with being a spirit-filled servant. So giving us a similar illustration of preparedness, I, I want to start off with this question for you. Jesus talked about being prepared in Matthew 24 and not knowing the times in which he comes. And that you know, God administers essentially a test, which is called life. You know, if you've not been tested in your faith, just keep living. So question for you before I begin, how amazed are others by your faith? Think about that for a second. How amazed are others by your faith? You know, because things are going to happen in your life that other people are going to see and know about, and they're going to want to know how you respond. Does your faith essentially rub off on them? Or is it just circumstances have overcome you, you can't take it, you can't handle it? How amazed are others by your faith? Matthew, picking it up at verse 14 through 15. 
Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Reading that right off the bat reminded me of a time my uh, dad was a big fisherman. Uh, he had a bass boat that was really nice. He fished Wednesday nights, Friday nights, Saturday mornings, Sundays, practically any time he could get in. He loved fishing. Well, there was a lake, I believe it was Lake Shelbyville. I believe, I could be wrong, but remembering the story, doesn't matter what lake, just reminds me of the fact that my parents, because I was old enough, were entrusting me with the house and the goods. And they were going on a fishing trip that was a three-hour drive. You know, Not a three-hour tour like Gilligan, but a three-hour drive. So I knew I had at least six hours, right? And the way Dad fished, he fished like it was a job. So six plus eight, I had about 14 hours. And uh, so anyhow, my parents entrusted their goods with me, the house, the vehicles that were, or the vehicle that was still there, you know, the animals because we had dogs. They entrusted their goods to me. So I slept in and woke up went downstairs and looked and there's this huge puddle of water in the kitchen. It was, it was nobody's fault because my parents presumably left without there. I don't think they had purposely turned it on to see what I would do, but my parents left, you know, and I probably had the, it was probably 4, 4 a.m. knowing my dad, so I probably had that four hour window, so there's four hours gone, I have 10 hours left. Um, I wake up, and at that time I wasn't a Christian, but if I were, I would have been thinking, well, is Noah's time coming? So the kitchen is flooded, and I don't want to give you too many details about the kitchen, but it had this rug in the middle of it with a kitchen table on top of it, countertop, whatnot, and the water had gotten so high that there was a vent there, and it started going down and duct work into the basement. I looked at the situation and knew I couldn't handle it myself. You know, I shop vac, a fan, blow dryer on the carpet, that'll only go so far. I needed help. So what I did was I called a buddy of mine that I knew was available, he said, yeah, I'll come on up. He came up, and we, we disassembled the kitchen, got it all, all outside to dry off. Fans, shop backs, mop, you name it, we had it, and we got it done. The reason I tell you that story is because while my parents left entrusting me their goods, they also entrusted me to have the house either in the same way it was when they left, if not better. So you have to think in those terms that this, this wealthy man is leaving three trusted servants, giving them extra money too, by the way, not only his goods, but giving them extra money. And he's entrusting them to not only come back to the same condition, but better. Because it says at the end of verse 16, that, or not verse 16, 15, that he gave to each of them according to their ability. So he had an expectation for them. He apparently knew he could trust them and knew that what they were capable of producing. So we go on to verses 16 through 18. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But, and you have to always, when you're reading the Bible, sometimes, you know, this big old but is sitting out. But he who had, gained, who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Interesting. You got two that responded according to their ability and one who responds in a completely different way. Let me ask you this question. What is your response to the resources given to you? Think about that for a second. What currently is the response for the resources given to you? You might ask, well, what am I talking about? Well, 
whether we like it or not, we're either a dad, a husband, a friend, co-worker, or the boss. We all have something attached to us that has resources attached to it. How are you using those? I'm not trying to be guilt-driven here. I'm just, just asking. How are you using those? Because, you know, I work for Ampeset. It's, it makes plastic pellets that other people use to make, like, bottles and whatnot. But I have a certain expectation on me, don't I? My company believes that I will do my best work day in and day out to be able to help the company to produce better results, right? So they've entrusted certain goods to me. Not everything, sure. I'm not the owner of the company or anything. But there are certain things entrusted to me to be able to do my job. I have to have a certain response day in and day out. Sure, it's not always the same. Some days I don't like my job. Some days I love being at work. But I still have a job to do, right? You know, I, I think of a gentleman by the name of Chris Hogan. If you've n never heard Chris Hogan, I'd recommend you look him up on YouTube. Uh, he's part of Dave Ramsey's organiza organization down in Tennessee. And uh, if you hear his voice, he's got an amazing voice. And I don't mean like a monotone singing voice. I mean like when you hear his voice, you think of an announcer. I mean, this guy is amazing. And if you were to see him in person, he is very intimidating. So you bring in this voice with this very intimidating looking person, you've got quite the man, right? He's in charge of a certain group within Ramsey's foundation. And one thing he always talks about is, I don't care what title you have, it doesn't mean anything to me if you don't do anything with it. Same thing applies here, right? It doesn't matter how many talents were given to each of these servants, what matters is what they do with it. Same thing applies to us. It doesn't matter if we call ourselves a Christian. If we're not doing anything with that, it doesn't mean anything. Sure, you may be in it for the retirement plan, but is retirement going to be as great as you think it's going to be? Because we can certainly worship a false idol and call it Jesus and call it God, and, or this concept of what we think God is in our mind, and God be like, I'm sorry. I never knew you. We need to get our acts straight. You know, these two words behind me that say hard reset, some of us need to take a hard reset sometimes and take a look in the mirror and be like, God, if there's something not ordained by you in my life, take it out. God, if there's a person in my life that doesn't need to be there, gracefully take them out. No, I don't mean like lightning bolt coming from the sky. I mean like take, just kind of like get them out of my life because they're not a benefit to me. Because we allow things and people to distract us from God, don't we? So that asks the next question. What are you doing with the spiritual resources that you're given? Today's Pentecost Sunday. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an unlimited resource. What are you doing with it? Makes you think, right? There are a lot of things in our spiritual lives I think that we would like to do, and that's about as far as we get. Now, I'm not telling you to overstep your bounds of pastor and whatnot, because I think you should have discernment and speak with him first. But I think there are desires. I, I'd want to believe that you all have a desire in your heart, not just for other people to be saved, but to do great things. Are you okay with being mediocre and average? Because I'm not. Are you okay with just going through the motions? And sometimes, okay, going through the motions is okay. At least you're doing something. I can tell by your body language that right now I'm, I'm kind of being guilt-driven. I, I just want you to think. I just want you to open your mind. This isn't about guilt. This is about what are the next steps I'm going to take. Am I going to be who I say I am? Whatever's happened in the past, Paul would say, I have forgotten it. 
I don't let yesterday define me. I let today define me. I let what I do now for the Lord define who I'm going to be. And I let the Lord define me. If you need some help in that, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. God will, or the Apostle Paul, will, through God, will gladly, sorry, God through the Apostle Paul will gladly tell you who you are. So what are you doing with the spiritual resources given to you? Paul says in Ephesians 4, 7, 11 through 13. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come, get this, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Verse 13, to the unity of faith. Man, we could use some unity within our church. You know, it says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors. This is a good time to talk about, what about that two-talent guy? You know, a lot of us can read the story and aspire to be like the five-talent guy. You know, because obviously the five-talent guy's got it all together. He knew what to do, he took initiative, and he got going. But what about that two-talent guy? Kind of feels like he's in that gray area, right? Like, man, that five-talent guy is really intimidating. I don't know if I can really be like him. But I also don't want to be like the one-talent guy that does nothing. Sort of that gray area of, should I do something? Shouldn't I do something? Because we can let intimidation become a big factor. You know, you think God gave some to be evangelists. Anybody know who Billy Graham is? I am never going to be like Billy Graham. At least in my humanness, I don't think so. You talk about a man that was on fire for the Lord. If you get an opportunity to go on YouTube and listen to some of his old stuff, take it. That man was on fire. And he stood for Christ. He didn't compromise anything. I'm not going to be like Billy Graham, nor do I think God wants me to be. See, and that's the key, isn't it? We all focus on Pastor Dan and how educated he is. He's extremely educated. We all focus on other people and, man, I'll never be like them. Maybe I, can I really do the Lord's work? I don't, I don't think I can. And you know what Satan's saying? Yeah, that's right. You can't do, you can't do the Lord's work. What do you, you can't do. What are you doing? You're never going to be like them. Just stop. Don't go public with your faith. Let everybody else go public with everything that they believe and that they think and all their opinions because their opinions matter. Don't talk about Jesus. You don't want to do that. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you may get hurt, persecuted, or made fun of. You don't want to lose friends, do you? It's hard. And sometimes it's stinky. But we can't focus on that. But if you notice, the two-talent servant did likewise like the five-talent servant. And we'll get into that here in a second. So based on what Paul said, in other words, Jesus left first his disciples, then to us his body, dominion over everything, and entrusted us to go. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to go teach them to faithfully follow all that Jesus has commanded. By the way, with the Helper, the Holy Spirit, so that we would be never lacking in anything. A lot of people call that the Great Commission, right? Nowadays, I think it's the great suggestion and it's not become what it should be. You know, we've all heard it said before, as we get into the next part, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? You've all heard that. I think Pastor Dan has said that before. But Rome also didn't fall in a day either. It was a gradual either building up or tearing down. And that's just like what success and failure are. They're gradual building up or tearing down. 
So Matthew 25, 19 through 23. Think, think with that in your mind as I read these responses here. I'll call this part of the passage the good and faithful responses, also known as the master's standard. So after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more. His Lord said to him, the words that we probably all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So what things did these servants possess that this other one eventually that we're going to learn about didn't? I call it the, the good and faithful response, but I kind of made it a five-point thing. Five talents, five points, right? Makes sense? So it, the first, the five-talent guy, it says in verse 16, he went and traded. He took initiative. He took ownership. He followed through. You know, if you're a sports fan, you know what a follow-through is, right? Baseball swing, golf swing, tennis swing, croquet swing, uh, bowling throw. You know, I, I don't know if I did that right, Billy, but, you know, the, the, the follow-through. I, I cannot bowl. I, it's more one of these things. <laughs> Still follow-through. But we all know the difference between a follow-through, right, and a check swing. If you think about in baseball, guys have check swings, right? Ball, pitch is coming. It looks like a strike. They look like they want to swing, and they try to, but they stop. They stop. And either the bat goes too far, it's a strike, or if the bat doesn't go far enough, it's, it's considered a ball if the ball is outside of the strike zone, right? But to hit a home run, they've got to follow through. They're not going to check swing a home run. They've got to follow through. And so when I think about that, if we are to have a greater commitment to our master, Jesus Christ, we need to understand going to the full extent of our faith. It means following through. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God apart from faith. To believe in what we can see is easy and doesn't require anything. But to be convinced of the unseen and to have confidence that it's part of our reality requires authentic faith. You see, the servants had faith that their master had set them up for success and to make a greater impact. And they didn't wait around for the master to appoint them, to anoint them, to nudge them, to send them. They took initiative. They took extreme ownership of what they were given according to the ability that they had. That's important to remember is that the master gave the servants abilities according to their ability. Those two servants also showed discipline. Boy, that's not a word we care to hear nowadays, is it? You know, think about all the words in your life that are hard. Discipline is certainly one of them. And I, as a parent, you know, disciplining your child is not easy. It hurts you more than it hurts them. Yeah, right. But, but discipline doesn't mean anything like being a parent. It means you maintain the standard. You, we all have a standard, right? His name is Jesus Christ. And if we all want to be like him, we need to maintain that standard. Mistakes, sure, are going to happen, but it, sins, transgressions, inequities should not. That's why it's hard. 
We go into strict training. We remove distractions, and we stay focused on our why. It's real easy to be focused on the what we're doing and forget why we're doing it. A lot of times we need to remind ourselves why. Why? Because it'll get you through the difficulties. My family and I are big fans of a show on the History Channel called Alone. I don't know if anybody in here has watched it. It's a survival show where they take participants, 10 of them, they allow them to have 10 items for survival reasons, you know, a, a knife, sometimes a bow and arrow, um, a flint to start a fire, stuff like that. And they're all placed out in various spots in this d destination. The last season one, two, and four is Vancouver Island. I never knew, before I watched this, kind of a side note, I never knew a temperate rainforest existed. I know it's kind of my ignorance, but have you ever seen a place filled with pine trees and it rains is like a rainforest? It's very interesting and very difficult in a survival situation because the wood is always wet. So fire is one of the hardest things that they have to do, which is very interesting. Nonetheless, you think about the why they're there. The winner gets 500 grand. If you're the last one remaining, meaning you have to get your own food sources, you have to build your own shelter, you have to provide your own water, you have to sleep at night with no showers and stuff like that. You all, and you also have to fend off, uh, I think, there was a certain kind of bear, wolves, cougars, and now in season five, they're in a place, Mongolia, where it has like uh, vipers. <laughs> what keeps you there? $500,000? And you know, it, you mean, it's not a bad weekend getaway. <laughs> These people are staying there 70 plus days. You want to find out who you truly are, there's a spiritual moment for you talk about being out in the wilderness, but they, the participants are always focused on their why. Why am I out here? Now, money doesn't solve every issue. We all know that, but it's a good why, right? If there's something in life that you would like to do on this planet, if you want to, for the betterment, a lot of them are betterment for their kids and stuff like that. Okay, you know, but that's a good why. You know, what about the kingdom of God? If you think about salvation of others, you know, just helping people in general, using your spiritual gift. Those are good whys. Pastor mentions it all the time that he's quit this job in his mind, but he focuses on the why he's here, why God has placed him here. He is our shepherd. You know, think about the why of these servants. Granted, they didn't hear it until after the fact, but here's a good why for us. Good job, my good and faithful servants. You were in charge of a few things, but now I will give you many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Has anybody thought, you know, what it's like to step into heaven? Entering that joy of our Lord? I think that's a pretty good why, don't you? So maintain the d discipline and vision. Then the minutes, the hours, will turn into days, which will turn into weeks, which will turn into months and years. Eventually turning into an eternal time. You know, every expert had to start somewhere. A good place to start is here, and a good time to start is now. It's not about yesterday. Forget about yesterday. Move on. And you have to remember, too, that like an Olympian, discipline is a daily thing. Kingdom men and women train in godliness daily. If you think about our Olympic athletes, they train every day. Who was it, um, the gold medalist that won a ton of for swimming? Phelps, thank you. That was my swimming thing. Michael Phelps, yes. 
I enjoyed hearing about his training regimen during the Olympics because he, he would go get up 6 a.m., 7 a.m., what just depended on the day. He'd go practice whatever he was going to be swimming for, go to the local deli and eat like a stack of pancakes this tall. I'm like, man, that'd be awesome. But then he'd go do it again and come back and eat like a stack of turkey sandwiches like this tall. I think I'm focusing on the food probably at an inopportune time. But it was swim, eat, swim, eat, swim some more, and repeat. You know? That's what our Olympians do on a regular basis. That's what kingdom men and women should do as well. Relentless pursuit of becoming who I want to become is a day-in and day-out campaign. For those of you familiar with war, you know what a campaign is. You don't just overnight defeat the enemy. It may happen, but it typically doesn't. You, you start a campaign. You know, we, we all say to ourselves, you know, I want, I want to be more holy. I want to be more righteous. I want to have a better prayer life. I want to read the Bible more. I want to do these things, which are well and good, but we don't want to do the work that's involved. You know, I just said this morning that I get up at the hours of dawn, excuse me, um, I get up at the wee hours of dawn because I'm the type of person that it doesn't take much to distract me. So if I'm up early in the morning, the kids are still asleep, Jessica's still asleep, I don't have to do anything but get ready for work, start a thing of coffee, and then boom, it's quiet time. That works for me. That may not work for you. Find some time to spend some time with your Lord, day in and day out. It could be the afternoon, it could be midday, it could be in your ride, ride to work. Turn your car into a learning environment. It's a day in and day out process. Only until I become those things, only then will I rest. Who, who in here doesn't want to become more holy? Who in here doesn't want to not want to be righteous? You know, Who doesn't want to have a pra better prayer life? Spend some time on your knees and complete surrender and just listen. I think our prayer lives are filled with too many of us talking and not listening. God's got a lot to say, and we may not want to hear it, so that's why we talk so much. I love the words David says in Psalm 1611. He says, because of you, God, I know the path of life. As I taste the fullness of joy in your presence, at your right side, I experience divine pleasures forevermore. Because of you, I know the path of life. Do you know what the owner's manual of life is? Do you know what weapon you have to defeat the enemy? Right here. God's word. And I will tell you, too, whenever you get to those names that you can't pronounce, just know that God doesn't waste word in, words in his word. Let me say that again. God doesn't waste words in his word. Every word that's put in here is put in here for a reason. Now, it may not immediately be an, have an impact on you, or resonate with you. And that's where listening comes into play. Some of your greatest prayers should be with this open in front of you. Number three, what did these two servants have? They had humility, which essentially led to obedience. The servants knew what it took to take what they had received to make more out of it. Why? Because the servants recognized where the source of their power lied. It lied from the master. They couldn't have gotten the money without the master giving it to them, right? We can't have the Holy Spirit without him giving it to us. A lot of times we focus on what we can see and what we can do when God's like, I made something impossible in your life for a reason. So you have to rely on me. Going with that, John 5, 30 through 32, from the message translation, Jesus says this, I can't do a solitary thing on my own. I listen, then I decide. 
You can trust my decision because I'm not out to get my own way, but only to carry out orders. If I were simply speaking on my own account, it would be an empty, self-serving witness. John 5, 30 through 32, the message translation. That's a good one. I'd highly recommend that you go back and reread that. He listens first to the Father and what the Father wants. Then he decides. How many of us make decisions and then ask God to bless them? <laughs> I've done it. Lord, please forgive me. Too often, that's how we do. You know, we, we know the right answer, so we're going to do what we want to do. Because we're going to believe what we want to believe, so we can do what we want to do, right? <laughs> you see, for us, in the kingdom of heaven, we must recognize God's divine authority given to us by heaven in order to execute God's purposes for his will in our lives. You know, too often we're focused on our purpose and we're focused on our will. You know, what if we changed our prayers to be like, God, do in me for your purpose, for your will in my life. Just changing a couple words, but it's more God-centered, isn't it? I love this passage from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. This comes from the Passion Translation. It says, Since Christ, though innocent, suffered in his flesh for you, now you also must be a prepared soldier, having the same mindset, for whoever has died in his body is done with sin. So live the rest of your earthly life no longer concerned with human desires, but consumed, 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 obsessed, passionate about what brings pleasure to God. Do you know, I had this happen to me just yesterday, actually, I think it was. I was in my quiet time, and I've had this nagging thing in my mind, in the back of my mind, about workout stuff, and I'm getting ready for today, and, you know, it's, that thing is back there distracting me, and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to do a quick, quick search for what I'm thinking about, and that quick search turned into another search and turned into more searches. By the time I looked up, I'm like, where did that 20, 30 minutes go? When I should have been focusing on this, I spent 20 and 30 minutes pursuing something that, you know, I'm personally passionate about, and it made me realize, like, that time should have passionately went to this, studying this. But it was not. It was focused on something completely else. I was distracted, and I missed, missed the mark at that time. But I had to repent of it and get back to work. So extreme ownership, discipline, humility. These servants were loving. Now, I know that's kind of hard to think about, that they were servants to this guy, but they were loving, weren't they? I mean, the servants did what they were supposed to because they loved the master, not because they had to. You know, that's the problem with the one-talent servant is that he didn't really want to do anything because he felt he had to. While these other two were out doing something with money given to them by the master because they wanted to. You know, how often does church become one of those things? Oh, do I want to go to church today? Oh, I've got to. I'm, I have to. Then what good is that? You know, God knows your heart. You should want to be in your scriptures. You should want to come to church. You know, if those things are no longer a desire because you love the Lord, your master, then I would take a step back and say, why not? You know, it's a joy for me to be in my word. You ever have those days where you're not in your word and your day just goes to garbage, for lack of a better word? It's like, I, I want to be. I want to be there. I want to I do this stuff. You know, when I was a young Christian, sure, maybe it felt like it was a have to because I didn't know any better, but it slowly developed over time. But for those of us that have been in church for a long time, church can easily become Sunday morning again. I guess I got to get up early. 
I guess I gotta go listen to Pastor preach. Hmm. And that's about as far as we get. You know, Paul says it, James calls it the royal law, and Christ taught it that if you do this, you will live. Love your neighbor as yourself. These servants were loving. They loved their master as they did themselves, and they proved it by their actions. They went out and did. They didn't sit around and wait for the master to tell them what to do. They knew what to do, and they went out and did it. Galatians 5.13, interestingly, the kids are learning about this. From the Amplified Version, it goes this way. It says, For you, my brothers, were called to freedom. Because you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have a free life. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity or excuse for sinful nature of worldliness or selfishness. But through love, serve and seek the best for one another. Man, it's really easy to get caught up in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? The unholy trinity, as I like to call it. Paul is ex explicitly clear here that you know, the royal law is to serve one another, to seek each other's interests and not just our own. You know, the body of Christ, Christ himself didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And I'm not talking in, like, in a religious sort of way. You do it out of love because you want to. You know, ultimately, it boils down to we cherish one another, we encourage one another, we build one another up. There's a whole lot of the opposite going on in the world nowadays. And number five, these servants were productive. They didn't waste time. They didn't sit on an internet search. They, went, they didn't go to the Google, or uh, the Oracle, as my brother-in-law likes to call it. They didn't spend time on YouTube. They weren't looking at TikTok, which I don't know how many of us really do in here. But, but sometimes you've got to stand your ground and say, no, I am going to shut this off. I'm not going to open my emails every 20 seconds to see if somebody responded or to tell me what to do. You ever have one of those days if you're still working where your email has become somebody else's to-do list? Don't let other people's agendas take over your day. Make it your day. In fact, make it his day. For this is the day that the Lord has made. Too often we get distracted by other people's agenda. They didn't wait, so the servants didn't waste time. They got up and went. And they trusted in the supernatural instead of the natural. In the sense that for us, that's a good place to be. Trust in the supernatural. Because again... Something may be impossible in your life because God made it that way so that you have to look toward him and his power. John 14, 12 says, I tell you this timeless truth, Passion Translation. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do and even greater miracles than these because I go to be with the Father. We have a sphere of influence. We have people around us constantly. We can do greater things because of the amount of people that are around us all the time. And if you don't think people are watching you, you'd be dead wrong. Do something wrong, and they're quick to tell you about it, right? So that's the good and faithful responses. Extreme ownership, discipline, humility, loving, and productive, or productivity. So now the unproductive response, verses 24 through 28. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew... Let's just stop right there for a second. You ever have your kids come up and say, I know? Like, like the kids should have a sign around them that says, these kids only know two words of English, I know. Well, you shouldn't have done this. Oh, I know. Then why did you do it? You kind of give them that sideways puppy dog look. Like, why did you do that? Anyway, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours? 
But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received, my, received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. The unproductive response, a lack of integrity. See, verses 14 through 15 tells us that this servant, while given only one talent, maybe his ability wasn't shown as much as the other two, was still a trusted servant. You don't just hand over goods and money to just anybody, do you? You see, this servant went through the motions. I'll bury it there, and when he comes back, at least he'll have it. That should be good enough, right? You see, he didn't have the willingness to change. Because I assure you, while the scripture says that it took a long time for this master to come back, they didn't know when he was coming. Those other two were probably coming back and reporting and looking to see if the master was back. While all along, this one talent servant is just sitting there. Oh man, it must stink to be you. Look at all that hard work you're putting in. You're, you're, just, you're being silly. You're being dumb. Look, at, I, I got mines right there. I can, I can just kick back, relax, have my tea with my little umbrella in it and just let you two go do your thing. I'm good right here. Thanks. He didn't have the willingness to change because he didn't think he needed to improve. He didn't think he needed to listen to anybody and he took for granted that he was right. Lord, I knew. I knew this about you. I know who you are. How many times do you hate when somebody says, well, I know that you are dot, 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 when in actuality you are not those things? You have the same thing here. Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. And the master was like, well, if you knew that, why didn't you do something? He didn't have the willingness to change, didn't think he needed to improve, didn't think he needed to listen, and he took for granted that he was right. Do any of those things apply to you? Yikes. It's real easy to think that you are right without going to God and getting the true answer. Truth is the construct of all reality. There's a reason Satan's name is the deceiver, because he likes to deceive. And we don't want to be ending up like this guy and be like, duh. Right? There's a reason you go to God first. There's a reason that you look to his word for everything. Not always easy. I get it. I was reminded of a story this past week of integrity. Um, a story of integrity, I should say. There was this builder who was a fantastic builder of, what, of houses. And he uh, had been with the company for about 40 years. And on his 40th year, he was going to retire. So you kind of know how that goes. Like, year 35, you know, it's, I've got five years left. Year 36, I've got four years left. Year 37, I've got three years left. So on and so forth until we got six months, you know, how many days it is. Well, nobody's counting. And then we get down to one month left. Well, his good friend, the owner of the company, comes up and says, hey, I, I, know, I know you're retiring in one month. Is there any chance you could do one more house? Well, the builder, he accepted, but not without being disgruntled. So instead of being a master of his craft, he cuts corners. He buys less than quality materials. He has less than quality subcontractors come in. Now, he was good at what he did, so the outside of the house looked good, but he knew, he was the one person that knew that the inside was not the way it should have been. So the house is done, 
the owner of the company comes, congratulations on your retirement. Here's the keys to your new home. What kind of house did that guy just get? We are that house. We are that house because are we putting the things inside of us that should be? You know, the, the saying goes, you are what you eat. You are what you think on a regular basis. What media and stuff are you looking at? What are you feeding on? Are you feeding your spirit or are you feeding the flesh? You know, I don't know if you've heard the story of two wolves. There are two wolves that you constantly feed. Are you feeding the spiritual wolf or are you feeding the flesh? Because the flesh is always at war with the spirit, always. That's why Paul talks about it, always fighting each other. Matthew 23, 25 through 26 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of extortion, robbery, self-indulgence, and unrestrained greed. You're spiritually blind. First clean the inside of the cup and examine your inner self through God's commands so that your outside, your public life, and your deeds may be clean also. Whew. That one's kind of... All right. Lack of integrity... This, this servant was excusatory, right? We all have excuses, even I do, on my best days. It doesn't matter how sophisticated it is. It doesn't matter how great it sounds. It's still an excuse. One of my favorite excuses comes from athletes. You ever seen an athlete make, try to make a diving catch or try to do the, the play at the end of the game, and then, oh, miraculously, he comes up with an injury? Dr. Evans calls that a loser's limp. Have you ever seen an athlete with a loser's limp? I saw it not too long ago. I saw um, in a baseball game, uh, without saying the names of the teams, because anyway, the closer, if you're not familiar with baseball terms, a closer is a pitcher that comes in at the very end of the game, typically to get the last three outs. Sometimes it could be four or five, whatever. Comes in to get the last three outs, and his team is up four runs. And when you know it, the closer blew a four-run lead by giving up a grand slam. And you know who had to come out to take him off the field? The trainers. Because ultimately, he was pitching hurt, you know? When he got to pitch, like, two days later, he was fine. But that's what we're talking about here, is you can have all excuses you want. You can have a loser's limp. But are your excuses really going to cut it with God? doesn't matter how sophisticated or how good they sound. And here, the servant's excuses didn't cut it with the master. You know, you think of excuses, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough support. I don't know the best way. I don't have the right equipment. I'm too old or I'm too young. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm sore. I'm not feeling it. I'm sure all those apply to some of us at some point in our lives. I get the too old too often. But those are all fabricated. Yeah, I, I get you're probably tired because I am too. But we can fabricate whatever we want to justify our means. This servant did just the same. The master wasn't buying it. All of them were lies. He had fear. You ever, I, I mentioned this to Joey the other day. Fear is paralyzing and deadly. We call it, and I got this from Dave Ramsey, we call it squirrel doctrine. Fear is paralyzing and deadly. If you've ever been driving on the road and seen a squirrel, blum, blum. <laughs> I knew that would wake you up a little bit. That's why I put it there. But you've seen it, right? You've seen a squirrel kind of get in the road, kind of get off the road. It's like, get out of the road, squirrel. <laughs> You're like yelling at him. He can't hear you. And it, either it's a blub blub or it's, he's off to the side. He finally got out of the way. But that's what fear does to us, doesn't it? 
The same thing that could have neutralized the two-talent servant did neutralize the one-talent servant. He told the master, I was scared. Yeah, but I, I'd given you everything that I own. Granted, it was broken up between three of them. And I gave you extra money to go out and do according to your ability. At least you showed ability to do something. You had no reason to be afraid. Because at least if he would have given it to the bankers, I would have gotten something from it. And this also reminded me of Adam and Eve. How fear took a hold of them. Genesis 3, 7 through 10. Now, this is in the message translation. So, immediately, the two of them did see what was really going on. They've been deceived. They saw themselves as naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees. They essentially hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. You know, a lot of us fear being vulnerable. A lot of us fear people knowing the true us. You know, I asked you last week, you know, how do you respond to uncertain situations? Or how would others say you respond to uncertain situations? Because they'll probably give a truthful answer. We lie to ourselves all the time. It's something that we just naturally do. That's why I believe John in 1 John 1.9 says to repent continuously. Make a lifestyle of repentance. Not just one time of saying sorry, constantly saying sorry. Lord, I, please forgive me that I didn't make the most of every opportunity that you've given me. And as David would say in the Psalms, please forgive me for the sins that I committed I didn't even know I committed. The servant was wearing a fig leaf. He thought he was doing the right thing by bearing the money. And essentially, he went and hid. He just hid the money. You know, we all wear fig leaves in our lives. Uh, the best illustration I could think of came from Dr. Tony Evans. I've been listening to him a lot lately, I guess. He, Dr. Tony Evans is a big fanatic of bowling. He likes to bowl and goes stuff. That's why, you know, when I did the form thing earlier, it made me think of it. Um, but if, I don't know if you've noticed over time, bowling has gotten more televised. Sure, there may have been like a big event that was once in a while, every year or something like that. And then the WBA, I believe it is, is more and more grown. In fact, there's one guy from Australia that does trick shots. It's very amazing if you ever get a chance to watch it. He rolls the ball with two hands. I've tried to adopt that, that, that uh, two-handed lifestyle, but nonetheless. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really neat to watch him do his thing. But it's, you know, he also bowls professionally, too. So you would think that he's a trick shot artist. He just automatically wins. But nonetheless, bowling has become a bigger thing in the sports environment. It's on ESPN, ESPN2, sometimes on SportsCenter, maybe or maybe not. But... These guys have these you know, elaborate outfits. They have these elaborate bags that have um, advertisements all over them. They've got these balls that are quite amazing nowadays. You know, they, they look so cool and whatnot. But Tony Evans says this, you know, you can look the part, but if you roll a gutter ball, it doesn't mean anything. This servant looked the part of a servant. How many of us look the part of a Christian and are rolling gutter balls? We can look the part, that's great. You know, that's maybe why you only see me dress up once so often. But I, I, I know who I am in Jesus Christ. Do you? It might be a good time. To, am I a servant of the Lord? Lord, if there's something in my life, get rid of it. Remove it. If there's a person in my life that needs to go, gracefully remove them. I want to be just like your son. I want to be a servant of the Almighty Lord God. Lastly, or two more. Uh, the master called him wicked. Ooh. That, that, ooh. Do you know what the primary component of which any kingdom rests? Because ultimately, the kingdom of God is like 
Do you know what's what is the primary component of any kingdom? It's the authority of its ruler. You see, the servant's response here shows who the authority he cared about, his own. You see, when people make decisions based on their own thoughts, their feelings, their own beliefs, and or their values, rather than God's word, they choose to rule themselves. They may call the master God without ever recognizing that he's king. Does God have absolute rule over every facet of your life? Because either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Paul does a good job of this in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20 and verse 5 of chapter 4. He says, Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise merely by being relevant. Be God's fool. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. It's written in scripture. He exposes the hype of the hipsters. The master sees through the smoke screens of the know-it-alls. So don't get ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence is in. When he comes, he will bring out in the open and place in evidence all kinds of things we never ever dreamed of. Inner motives and purposes and even our prayers. Only then will any one of us get to hear, well done of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20, in chapter 4, verse 5. And lastly, laziness. We have to fight immediate gratification. We live in a world where immediate gratification is ultimately our microwave generation hates waiting too long for things to be microwaved. If you think about how long it took to cook a meal in biblical times versus how long it takes to make a meal nowadays, we got it pretty good. TikTok, your 10-second video, video. YouTube, whatever, how long it may be, a minute to two minutes, who knows. Immediate gratification. We look for the instant fix. And we need to quit taking the easy road. How many of you have taken the easy road and found that it was just as hard, if not harder, than the hard road? I took the easy road in my, I took the easy road in my life when I was younger. And it took me a lot of hard work to get out of that. Day after day. Yeah. Some days, you're tired. I get it. You know, maybe that's the day that you procrastinate. Is if you're tired, procrastinate you're tired and get to work. Sometimes going through the motions is enough to at least say that you did something. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that has been practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life is God. It is vigorous and requires your total attention. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. I believe that is the Passion Translation. It says it a little bit differently than your NIV, New King James, that I have here in front of me. And sometimes seeing it in a different light like that. How many shortcuts, life hacks, do you see on a regular basis? Jessica was just telling me the other day about a pill that will help you lose 30 pounds in one week. That's pretty dangerous, really, if you ask me. But that's what we want. We want the shortcut. We want the life hack. We want it to be easy. And sometimes it can be, sure. But there are going to be times in our lives that are going to be hard. 
Amen? The weight of life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. You know, one of the things that I read while studying for this, I thought was interesting, is that one of the greatest sins when we meet the Lord and Savior may be our sins of omission. What that means is the sins that come from what we didn't do. They may be worse than the sins that we did commit. James 4.17 puts it this way, So then, anyone who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it is committing a sin. Now, I will digress and say that if you know that there's something good going on and there's absolutely something important and you can't make it, okay. You know, the Lord knows your heart. You know, there are, there are men in this room that work night shifts that would love nothing more to spend time with their family. They are the dad when they can be. They take care of things when they can. You know, that's just life sometimes. You do what you can with what you got. And expect God to show up through the power of his Holy Spirit. The only time you stop is when God stops you. Not when you stop yourself. And verse 28 basically gives you the master's response. Your lack of integrity, your excuses, you are wicked, you are lazy. I don't accept that. You really weren't a servant at all. 2 Corinthians 5.10 reminds us that sooner or later we'll have to face God regardless of our conditions. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming at us as a result of our actions. Lastly, chapter, or verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Christ is just talking about faith. If you have faith, you will be given an abundance. But for whatever faith you lack, whatever you thought you had, will be taken away from you. Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There he will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So my closing prayer as the worship team comes is this. It comes from Luke 16, verse 5. In Luke 16, or 17, I'm sorry. In Luke 17, Jesus has just told the disciples about how to forgive radically. And the, the disciples didn't get it. You know, oftentimes we would like to think that we're, we'd be like the disciples and be around Jesus and we'd just get everything. we just know exactly what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, he's talking about re- radical forgiveness. Exactly. So radical... The disciples' response was this, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our ability to confidently trust in God and in his power. Yes. Not only do we need an increase in faith, we need an increase in faith in Yahweh. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we can use faith, sure, but where is that faith placed? It needs to be in Yahweh. So one of the things I didn't share with you last week comes from Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51. Jesus asks this profound question to close up everything. What would qualify a servant to manage his master's house? He would be a wise servant who is both faithful and dependable. Two words I think all of us could say we want to be, right? Faithful and dependable. The master would commission him to oversee others, for he would lead them well and give them food at the right time. What joy and blessing will come to that faithful servant when the master comes home to find him serving with excellence? I can promise you the master will raise him up and put him in charge of all that he owns. 
Verse 48, however, the evil servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming, and who knows when he'll return. And because of that delay, the servant mistreats those in the master's household. Instead of caring for the ones he has appointed to serve, he abuses the other servants and begins to party with drunkards. Verse 50, let me tell you what will happen to him. His master will suddenly return unexpectedly, and he will remove the abusive, selfish servant. And the master will cut him into and assign him to a place of great sorrow and anguish along with other hypocrites. You know, I've given you five attributes of a good and faithful servant and five other attributes of the one who was not a servant at all. Take time to read this story yourselves and just ponder, where are you? What, what are you doing with the resources given to you? Not just in this life as a husband, a, a, hus a father, as an employee. What are you doing spiritually? If we're given the Holy Spirit, which today celebrates that day, what are you doing with it? You know, you have desires put in your heart. Desires for other people to be saved. Desires to see other people helped in certain ways. That's why we have a food pantry. That's why we have a youth group. It's to do those things for those that can't do for themselves. You know, the altar is open. I, I challenge you and myself, how do others see my faith? Is it bold? Or is it, I'll just bury my talent here in my little cul-de-sac on Miller Drive, and I'll just hang out there till the time comes. It's really easy to do that. It's comfortable, right? We, we are all creatures of comfort. We need to stretch ourselves. Because ultimately, our Lord and Savior was stretched out on a cross. If he gave 100, that's what I want my response to be. Do you? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.